for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. There's so much to say about today's guest. He is a former general manager of the radio station, a local celebrity in Syracuse from his time on commercial radio there. Uh, brilliant writer now for Syracuse.com, an SEO expert, a wedding DJ, and oh, by the way, he happens to be deaf. Deaf Jeff Herbert from the class of 2005, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jag. Excited to be here. There's so much to get into pre, during, and post JPZ. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the station and what came first, love for radio or JPZ? Love for radio. Uh, when I was in high school in Acton, Massachusetts, I had the fortunate experience of having a high school radio station. And I joined when I was a sophomore. Really loved that impact of playing songs and giving people shout outs. And then they would, you know, respond to it. They'd tell you, oh my God, you played my favorite song. Or I really loved hearing my name on the radio, even though it was, you know, a small little 10 watt station that basically reached to the cafeteria. <laughs> um, it was still a lot, a lot of fun. And I became the general manager of that high school radio station for two years, and I just loved it. And so I knew that when I was going to college, I wanted to do radio, and Syracuse University was one of my top choices. And I loved the fact that it had multiple radio stations, but I knew Z89 was one of the places I really wanted to be. So his reputation kind of preceded it before you even got to campus. Yeah. So like when I visited the school, I knew that there was WERW, WJPZ, and of course, 88.3 WAER. And I knew that they all had differences and advantages, but I knew that WJPZ was where I wanted to be because it had the kind of radio experience that I was interested in. You know, it was kind of like a top 40 format, playing a lot of the songs that I and my peers liked. And it had that um, similar kind of impact where you could play the songs that get those reactions from audiences and basically have that kind of like, fun experience day in, day out. And it also had a lot of, you know, students that were managing everything at the radio station. They were picking the song, they were choosing promotion, what other events they were going to cover, whether it be sports or mix shows or events. And I really liked that freedom to have it C89. So the nickname Jeff Jeff, you were telling me before we started recording, this is a self-given nickname that you came up with originally when you were younger. Tell me how that happened. And then did you get any pushback when you told people that you wanted to get into radio? Um, well, for starters, I'll explain. I was born with a profound hearing loss, uh, binaural hearing loss. I hear about 10% as well as the average person. With hearing aids, it's about 50% maybe as well. And then with context, such as visual cues and lip reading, it's close to 90%. Um, and a lot of people sometimes forget or don't realize that I'm hard of hearing. Um, so it's something that's been a part of me and who I am my entire life. I've been wearing hearing aids since I was two years old. And when I was 12, I had to pick my first AOL screen name. <laughs> and, you know, that was the early days of the internet being accessible to a lot of people. So I came up with the handle Deaf Jeff as a short and simple and easy way to introduce myself to people. I'm Jeff. I'm mostly deaf. I'm okay with it. And everyone else should be too. 
And I, I like the fact that it rhymed too. So it worked as a DJ name. So yeah. I stuck with it when I was in high school um, as my radio persona. And when I started DJing for parties and school dances and things like that. So I kept going with it. And, you know, then when I was thinking about college and a career, radio was always something that I really wanted to do. And I never had anybody push back on it saying like, you know, you can't do this or you shouldn't do that. The only time I ever had someone really push back was actually after I had already gotten to SU. When I was in my, I think, sophomore year or junior year, I took a music recording class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the teacher was like, you know, if you can't hear a certain notes or tell very well if a band is out of key or off pitch in the recording process, how are you going to be able to do this? And, you know, I explained that, you know, even though I can't hear everything exactly as well as the next person, um, I did have a lot of experience with music and editing music, and I have a lot of skills for listening, listening very closely. On top of that, there's technology. When we're recording stuff, we're not just recording it into an analog four-tape recorder anymore. (laughs) You know, we're using computer screens that show you the waveforms of everything that you're saying, singing, and playing. So you can see where uh, different vocals come in, different drum beats. So like one thing that I was actually able to teach the class that the professor and the teaching assistant wasn't able to was how to edit songs. So when you're recording a band that is actually out of sync, out of time, because um, they're not a perfect band and they're playing with live instruments, I actually showed them how you could edit the waveform to have like everything match up in tune and in time. So like in a multi-track when you're kind of dragging stuff to match, like the drum and the guitar. Yeah, dragging or stretching, whatever you need to do to make sure that the guitars and the drum and the bass line are all coming in at the same time. Because a lot of these bands, you know, without Pro Tools, they don't know how to play in sync like that. Especially, like you said, especially a band that might be getting started out and isn't totally polished yet. Um I want to get to the JPZ stuff, but I don't want to forget to mention uh, Jeff is a great follow on Twitter, particularly during Syracuse basketball games, because he often lip reads Coach Bayheim. And sometimes during an NFL game, I'll see something and I'll tweet him and I'll just be like, did he say the what I think he said that I, I won't repeat in this podcast? And Jeff will usually confirm it for me. Yep. Yep. That's what it was. So uh, you are a great follow on Twitter. Um, what is your Twitter handle for those who don't know? Def Jeff, D-E-A-F-G-E-O-F-F. I always tell people it's deaf with an A, Jeff with a G. And the deaf with an A, I always have to clarify, especially not only because I'm hard of hearing, but I have to explain I'm not deaf like deaf jam. I'm not cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm not cool. I'm just hard of hearing. I think you're pretty cool. So we're at the station. You've been a GM in high school. You get to the station. You knew right away you wanted to be a JPZ. Tell me about your experience getting involved with the station and then eventually rising up the ranks to become general manager. Well, I started out, like so many of us, as a DJ, you know, doing a show at three o'clock in the morning on like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, chugging as much caffeine as I could to stay awake and then, you know, get to class the next day. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun. I loved doing it. I might have fallen asleep once or twice during the shift because I was also working a part-time job <laughs> in addition to all the classes. But I just loved doing it, and it was so much fun to play the songs. And then, you know, you get the practice, you learn the way to do things, and then you get better and better at it. And then eventually you get moved to a more favorable shift in the afternoon or during the daytime. And you get that same experience of, you know, playing songs that people want to hear, and they crank up their tunes in their car, they sing along, they dance, they get shout-outs, they 
call in to win contests, whether it's t-shirts or concert tickets or movie tickets or something like that. And it was so much fun. And then at the end of my freshman year, interestingly enough, I was actually approached by the GM at the time, Greg, and he came up to me and asked me if I would be interested in interviewing for the general manager when he leaves. Wow. And I was a little surprised because I was a freshman, but I did know that I had experience as a GM at my high school radio station. And I thought, you know what, this, this is what I love to do. This is where I want to be. I'll live and sleep here all day if I, if I can. So I interviewed and got the gig and I was general manager for almost two years at Z89 and loved it. Loved every second of it. I know uh, you were profiled in the uh, documentary that Scott McFarland did for the 40th anniversary. And one of the things that you had a quote on was really upping the ante when it came to covering high school sports and the whole sports department at JPZ. Take us through that a little bit. Well, one of the things that we knew is that a lot of our staffers were interested in radio from a sports standpoint. And sometimes that's a difficult uh, medium or aspect of the medium to get involved in with something like WAER. Sure. But with WJPZ, there's much more visibility, much more freedom for that kind of experience. And we also knew that Z89 target audience was, you know, 18 to 34, but in reality is skewed a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. um, it was probably mostly age 12 to 28. The middle of that, the meat in the sandwich was the high school audience. Mm -hmm. So we thought we could kill two birds with one stone and really embrace coverage of high school sports. So we started doing Friday night lights broadcasts at high school football games. And we'd pick a local school and we would run live coverage of the high school sports. And it was a great experience for everybody involved. It was great visibility for the station to get people interested in the radio station and listening, as well as give all of our WJPZers that were interested in sports or maybe live broadcasts in general that kind of experience, that kind of real-world experience that would help them in their future careers. We also did SU Women's Lacrosse, SU Women's Basketball. I'm trying to think of what else we did, but... It was just great to be stressed out so much and give our staff so much experience and opportunity. There has been historically throughout the 50-year history of the radio station, uh, sometimes a tension between music and sports. How did you navigate that as GM, particularly when you're really increasing the amount of airtime dedicated to sports? That was a challenge because everybody who comes to the radio station sometimes has different ideas about what they want to do. Sometimes people come to the radio station, they want to be DJs that are mixing with turntables and playing at parties and stuff like that. Some people want to be talk hosts that are on The View or television, maybe. And then there are people that are interested in sports and they want to go cover the NFL. They want to cover Major League Baseball. So everybody's coming to the radio station from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and they want a different experience. And one thing that we all knew at Z89 was that it gave you much more of an opportunity for more people to do all of those different things than the other two radio stations on campus did. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that meant we were stretched for time and not everybody could do everything that they wanted to every week. So that was particularly a challenge with high school sports coverage or maybe um, covering SU women's sports when the schedule might be at different times every week rather than a consistent schedule. And a lot of times people want to have their show on at the same time every week. So listeners can tune in and they can plan their shows ahead of time, whether it's a mixed show that's 
all 80s or is a DJ that's spinning a mix of party songs. It was a challenge. It was a delicate balance to work out. But I constantly met with both groups, all the individuals, and did my best to make everyone understand that, you know, we're all in this to get experience. We're all in this to learn about what we love. And for a lot of us, it's going to be a stepping stone to the next thing we do in life with our careers. And so I want to give everyone that opportunity. So I did my best to make sure that everyone got that opportunity. Well said. Also, you kind of expanded the playlist. You're, a lot of the stuff you were at the helm for wasn't just on the sports side, but to your point, you were also paying close attention to the music side. What happened with the playlist and the format of the station while you were there, Jeff? Well, when I became GM, the playlist was, you know, top 40 radio station format. And it was a lot of the same songs you'd hear every hour, just like Hot 179 and 93Q in the Syracuse market and any other top 40 radio station in the country. Sure. So we would heavily play, you know, the A records and you would hear them very often if you were tuning into the radio station. But since we were competing with two, you know, much more powerful radio stations backed by national organization, uh, we thought we saw an opportunity to beat them to the punch, so to speak, Mm -hmm. by expanding the playlist. So we would add, I think, two songs to each rotation, to the A, to the Bs, and the Cs. So we were playing a much more diverse mix of music, and we were playing new music faster than the other local radio stations in Syracuse. And that kind of gave us an edge, especially with that younger audience that we were connecting with, that college and high school age that we were ourselves as well as our audience. I'm going to put you on the spot as a music guy and as a wedding DJ. Any songs from that particular era that you were first on jump out at you in memory in the mid-2000s? Oh, man. First on that stands out in memory. Um, A song that you played before Q and Hot? I mean, I think of the big songs from that time period, stuff like 50 Cent and Snoop Dogg and Justin Timberlake when he went solo, but the name that kind of pops up in mind is Amon or Amon. Uh, I don't want you back. Oh, the Fu song. That was like a short-lived but big song. I think that was 2004, and we might have been one of the first ones to play it because we were playing so much more new music at the time, and that was a very, very different kind of song at the time. And then it blew up. Everybody was playing it. There was another singer who had a response track. Frankie. Frankie, yeah, Frankie. <laughs> I don't want you back either, or something like that, or F U R B. And, you know, that was something that really stands out in memory, even though it's not something I would play today as a wedding DJ. Certainly not. <laughs> you don't want to play the breakup songs at a wedding reception, right? Exactly. It's WJPZ. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. You know, you end up GM at an important time at the station. You successfully led the station just as you successfully led your high school radio station. From there, you end up going to the quote-unquote evil empire. You end up doing mornings on Hot 107.9. How did you get that gig and, and how was that? Well, that was awkward and fun and challenging all at the same time. 
Um, Dr. Rick Wright is who I have to thank for that because when I was a sophomore at SU, I took his class and I was an, got an internship from the class at Hot 179. I was basically the intern for the morning show, Marty and Shannon in the morning at Hot 179. And it was weird timing too because their producer had just been fired because of an inappropriate incident with a high school party um, that supposedly involved a client's daughter. Oh, that's now that's a radio story. I won't ask the you, you. I can tell by your face you don't want to go into detail here, but uh... I don't know all the details because it was before I was there. But I do know that they didn't have a producer anymore, and so at the end of the internship, they said, "You know, Def Jeff, we love having you here. You have a lot of passion for the job. We like what you do." And they invited me to take the job full time. And that was at the end of my sophomore year. So I went home for the summer. I did an internship at a radio station in Boston. And then I came back in the fall and I was full time at the radio station. But I was still GM for another year at Z89. How did that work? Uh, I got no sleep at all, basically. (laughs) So I would, you know, go to the radio station at four or five o'clock in the morning. I would do the morning show. I would go to class. I would come to Z89, I'd be GM, I'd have office hours, and I'd have meetings. And then I actually went to a part-time job at Blockbuster until midnight. And then I was home for four hours of sleep. And then I would do it all over again the next day. So I got very little sleep that year. But um, it was fun. It was challenging, too, because I couldn't be on the air at Z89 and everybody knew me as Deaf Jeff. So whenever I was at the radio station, a lot of people tried to get me to talk to them on the air. And they say, hey, Deaf Jeff, what's going on? And I had to explain, you know, you can't say that because I'm Deaf Jeff on another radio station now. So that makes sense. You weren't able to be on the air on JPZ while you were on the air on Hot. Beyond that, was there more friction from the folks over at Hot or from the folks at Z kind of doing both at the same time? Um, there was no friction at all, to be honest, um, because I kept it very clear, the boundaries and the differences. You know, I was on air at Hot 179, I was a producer, and at Z89, I was a GM only. I was not on air, and I made it clear that all the staff should not refer to me on the air as Deaf Jeff. They can call me Jeff, they can call me um, the evil boss if they want to, <laughs> um, but just don't use the same on-air name that I'm using across the way. So I didn't have any conflicts with that. And, you know, at the same time, everybody at Hot 179 and Clear Channel at the time, they all knew that Z89 was a great place for people to learn and get the experience that would give them those careers. So mm-hmm. do they compete in the market? Yes and no. At the end of the day, you know, they understood that it was a radio station that was a training ground and educational experience for most of the people that were there. And I wasn't going to give away trade secrets right. because there was honestly, there wasn't really a lot that I could say or do that would affect either radio station one way or another. And it's not like I was involved in any of the planning meetings for programming at Hot 179. You know, I was just doing the morning show at the time. So I didn't know when they were going to get a new song, where they're going to have a big concert. I didn't get the inside scoop. I, a lot of times I found out when it was happening. Gotcha. How long were you at Hot? Uh, and then talk about the transition after that. I was at Hot 179 from 2004 to 2010. So I was there for six years. And I did a little bit of everything. You know, I was the morning show sidekick. I was the producer. 
I would wear ridiculous costumes. I would deliver Valentine's in a diaper in February <laughs> in the cold, snowy winters of Syracuse. <laughs> I would dress up as a leprechaun for St. Patrick's Day and sit in a giant bowl of Lucky Charms and people had to <laughs> reach around to find prizes. I recorded holiday albums. Um, I fancied myself as a parody writer and rapper. So I recorded three albums called Death the Halls, <laughs> where I would sing and rap very badly um, holiday songs, Christmas songs, or parodies of songs that were on the radio. One of my favorites was Toy Lockdown, which was a parody of Kanye West's Love Lockdown at the time. All right, okay. I'm not buying you the toys you want me to, power, power wheels, or guitar hero. And... You know, that was all fun and good. And then I knew after six years of that, um, I knew two things. One, I knew that there wasn't a lot of room for me to grow where I was at that radio station at Clear Channel at the time. But I also knew that, you know, I was getting closer to 30 and I knew that I didn't want to be 40 and doing the same thing. I didn't want to be in silly costume because it's fun when you're 22, 25 years old. But as you get older, for some people, it gets embarrassing. And I didn't want it to get to the point where it would be embarrassing. Mm -hmm. It never was embarrassing for me at the time, but I didn't want it to get to the point where it would be embarrassing. So in the summer of 2010, I started interviewing for jobs at Syracuse.com in the Post-Daniels newspaper. And as fate would have it, that was the same month that they made the decision to replace Marty and Shannon with the syndicated Elvis Duran from Z100. Wow. So it was uh, propitious timing uh, for me. You know, they told me, you know, we're taking you guys off the air. And I kind of said, that's fine. I don't care. And I think it made them mad that I wasn't upset, but that's because they didn't know at the time that I was already had one foot out the door, so to speak. So I went to circus.com in the Post Standard, and that was a very different experience because, you know, that's writing for a newspaper for an online website. And I saw it as very much the same thing, because when you're doing radio, when you're doing DJing, or when you're writing for an online publication or a newspaper or a magazine, anything, you are writing or communicating to an audience at all times. And you're trying to come up with the things that they're interested in hearing about, reading about, talking about, sharing with their friends and family. So it's really, it felt like the same experience. And I saw a lot more room for myself to grow at Syracuse.com and the Push Standards. So I really liked making that shift. But I still, you know, hung on to that passion for music. So I kept DJing after that, too. I've been, you know, DJing now for more than 20 years. And I mostly do weddings as a DJ now. For me, I had done some wedding DJs and you and I have shared pictures and, and, and stuff about that. And and I still host bar trivia one night a week. For me, it kind of scratches an itch to be on a microphone in front of people. You feel it's the same way for you as an old radio guy? Yeah, absolutely. Because when, you know, when I'm writing for Sherry.com and the Post Standard, you know, you're writing for an audience that you can't see how they're reacting. You can read their comments or um, see emails that they might send to you or letters even. But um DJing definitely scratches that itch of the experience of playing songs that transform an audience's mood. They hear the songs, they know the dances, they all get up, they join in. And it's so much fun to have that immediate impact on people, to play the songs that people know and love. And, you know, with the radio too, you know that you're playing a song 
that transforms someone's mood. They could be having a bad day, but then they hear their favorite song and it just changes everything about their day. And I love that immediate power that radio and DJing and music has on everyone. As we bring it back to WJPZ, Jeff, are there lessons that you learned in your time there on the air as GM that have served you well throughout your career in the time since? I would say there's two takeaways. One is the actual experience of working in the radio station, all the technical aspects and details and the different things that go into making a radio station or any other business successful. Um, and working with the people that are involved is crucial. And Z89 has always been you know, the number one learning classroom in the country for that. And I love it. And I love seeing what the students do there today and in the future. The second thing I probably learned is that, you know, when you're working with people, you're working with people that have different ideas and sometimes just different ideas about what they want to do with their careers. Like maybe for them, this job is a stepping stone to the next thing they want to do, or they're working in a different aspect of the company that they don't really want to be in, but they wanted it to get their foot in the door and then eventually move over to something else. But also people have different ideas because they have different experiences and different ideas for what the company or the brand or whatever product you have should be moving forward. And sometimes that means great things can happen because you think of things that you wouldn't have thought of before as you're collaborating with other people. And then sometimes it means, you know, the occasional butting of heads because you disagree fundamentally on certain things about like what the next direction should be. And I'm, I'm sure that's something that's come up in Z89's history too, with format changes, um, going from AM to FM, and, you know, I'm very excited to listen to all the other podcasts about the other stories from Z89's history. Are there relationships that you formed at the station, Jeff, that you still carry with you to this day? I know the Alumni Association is very tight and there's all of us from different years are all friendly, but are there folks that you worked with day in and day out at the station that you still are in pretty good touch with years later? Absolutely. Um, I still keep very much in touch with Kevin Rich, who became the GM after I was. Um, I talk to Eric Silverman all the time because he's someone that stayed locally after college as well and had similar interests to me in terms of music and the business as well. But everybody at Z89, everybody at WJPZ is family, regardless of, even if I haven't met them yet, even if it's, you know, <laughs> the freshman that's coming in next year, as soon as they walk into the doors of WJPZ, they are part of that family. And I just love everyone that's part of that family. And it's always, always just thrilled me to see everyone at the banquet, whether it's at the learning conference in the fall or talking to someone on a podcast like this, Jag, you know, it's just something that everybody that you see and talk to and connect with, even if it's just a simple like happy birthday on Facebook, these are people that you know that you can talk to and reach out to anytime if you need anything, whether it's advice about something. Scott McFarlane and I, are constantly sending messages on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, I see all the coverage that he's been doing uh, in Washington, D.C. for CBS. And, you know, occasionally he will be sending me stories that she's worked on and let me know because there'll be a lot of times a central New York or an upstate New York connection because some of the people that were involved in that situation came from our local audience. And so that's something that we're always happy to help each other out with because we're all trying to help each other succeed and do the best that we can be because 
we're part of a family. You always want everybody that's in your family to succeed, always. You are a wealth of information, uh, and I see all your posts from Syracuse.com, and I love that story. That's just the, it really encapsulates the Alumni Association, where you've got Scott in D.C. working these hundreds of cases from January 6th, and if he's got a Syracuse connection to one of them or an upstate New York connection, of course he's going to reach out to Jeff because Jeff is reporting it in upstate New York. So that makes total sense. Yeah. You have an advantage over a lot of the alumni, Jeff, and that you don't have to buy a plane ticket or drive for hours and hours on end to come back to the banquet every year. You've made Syracuse your home after going to school there and then working there on the air for several years. And, and you have your family there and it's really become home for you. Absolutely. I grew up in Massachusetts, so I grew up... Um, I'm the only one from my family that lives in New York State. And when I came to SU, you know, you talk about Z89 PA family, but Syracuse is also where I knew home was. And I just loved everything about the area. I loved the university. I loved the restaurants in the area, possibilities and dinosaur barbecue and a billion others. And I just loved the uh, small town feel of the suburbs of Syracuse, as well as the big city type opportunities with concerts and sports like SU football and SU basketball. I just love that balance and that all those different experiences that you can get at the same time that, you know, there are bigger cities that are nearby as well that you can get to easily. So something like Banquet is something that's easy for a lot of alumni to get to if they're in cities like Buffalo or Boston or New York or Philadelphia. It's a great little place to be and to see everyone come back for it as well. And I love being here and I love being close to the city and I'll probably be here for the rest of my life. Jeff, your contributions to JPZ as a student, as an alum, and as a reporter and personality in the Salt City are appreciated by all of us. And thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jag. Shout out to everyone at Z89. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. 